This is the Academic Survival Podcast, and I'm your host, Dr. Chandra McDonald. Statistics show that approximately 40% of students drop out of college every year. In fact, nearly 30% drop out their first year. Well, I am on a mission to improve these stats. But white folks who grow up in the city around other people is way different Different. than white folks who grow up in rural areas. And I went to school in Iowa. Child, there were people who had never seen a black person in real life in Iowa. And I mean that for real. Okay, There's a lot of people who grow up on farms. There's people who grow up in a lot of places that there is no diversity. Okay, the diversity they get is when they turn on the television. And that's it. That's the representation they receive. So. Yeah, going to a PWI in Iowa is it was culture shock. I remember being in our laundry room in a like didn't plan on it, but I ended up like teaching a class on laundry for like <laughs> seven white girls. Like this is detergent, <laughs> this is bleach, this is like literally teaching and I was literally just teaching my roommate and then she called some friends and it became a class. That's Anna Deshawn and Adele Coleman, hosts of The Head Nod, a podcast that delves into the experiences of being Black in predominantly white spaces. Season one of their podcast focuses on Black experiences at PWIs, which stands for Predominantly White Institutions. On this episode of Academic Survival, They share their personal stories and tips that will inspire Black students and also keep you laughing. As students who went to predominantly Black high schools, transitioning to a PWI had its share of challenges and triumphs. So don't miss out on this essential conversation that sheds light on this unique journey toward academic and personal success. Welcome to the Academic Survival Podcast. Today, I have with me the hosts of The Head Nod. I have Adele and Anna. So welcome to the Academic Survival Podcast. How are you? Thank you. Yes, thanks for having us. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So can you tell me a little bit about your podcast, The Head Nod, and how it all came about? So I can tell you what it's about, and then Anna can tell you how it came to be. We'll do it that way. So, yeah, so The Head Knot is a podcast that we created that is about being Black in predominantly white spaces. And so season one is about the Black experiences at PWI or predominantly white institutions. And Anna and I realized we both went to PWIs and wanted to share that because we often hear, you know, conversations about HBCUs and it's no knock against that. What about us folks that went to the other side of the university? So, That's what the first season is about. But we'll have future seasons that cover, you know, what it's like to be Black in predominantly white spaces. Anna, can you tell me how the two of you met? Oh, I I love this story because I was checking for Adele and she wasn't checking for me. Okay, (laughs) Because CEOs of major media companies, you know, when they're sitting on stages and telling everybody about their process and how brilliant they are, you know, they ain't checking for these indie... No, I'm kidding. Um, But but for real, for real, we met at a conference and honestly, I was looking for Adele. She was speaking on a panel with other Black women podcasters. They were talking about their process of, of creation 
and how they manage their podcasts. And DCP Entertainment, which is where Adele works, is one of our partners for my company called The Cube. And so I had been in communication with the CEO, Chris, and I knew when I saw that Adele speaking that I wanted to connect with her. On the other side, Chris had told Adele that he needed to connect. She needed to connect with me. Exactly. So I was looking for her. (laughs) Technically, I was definitely looking for her for sure. And then we met. We saw each other again at another conference. We just started talking and we realized that we both went to PWIs. We had a lot of the same similar experiences and we thought this would be a really dope pod. And so here we are. That's awesome. So then can each of you tell me where you grew up? So let's go with Adele first. Sure. So I grew up in Washington, D.C. I currently reside in Maryland, but I grew up within the city of the District of Columbia. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed. And then I grew up on the south side of Chicago. For both of you, was that a predominantly Black experience for you? Yeah, D.C.'s changed a lot. But when I grew up in D.C., it was known as Chocolate City. So it was a lot of Black people everywhere, music in the streets, a lot of arts kind of happening. You just kind of got used to the sound of the city. Like, D.C. was always full of, like, go-go music and Caribbean, you know, influence and stuff like that. We had a lot of festivals. So I, I grew up used to seeing, you know, pretty much a lot of Black folk, like, everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, same. I mean, south side of Chicago, the Great Migration is real. Okay, everybody here um, in certain parts of the city is definitely Black. Definitely right. probably your people from the south somewhere that, that submits your Chicago-ness. Right, <laughs> right. So then yeah. I I gather then it's safe to assume that your high schools were predominantly Black then. Mine, yeah, for the most part. Like, it was, it was, my high school was pretty small because I went to an art school. I went to Duke Ellington School for the Arts here, which is a performing arts school here. And yeah, it was predominantly black. I I, I hesitated because it kind of shifted a little bit, but for the most part, it was all black. Though. Yeah, it was all black school. <laughs> Even though my high school was black, a black private Lutheran school, it was still all black. Even though none of us were Lutheran, so that's it. <laughs> Except for me, maybe like a handful of us. <laughs> so then, when you transition from high school to college and are now find, found yourself in a predominantly white space. How was that transition for you? Um, It was interesting for me because, so just a little bit of a backstory. My dad used to work at St. Albans School for the Boys here. And that is a private school that is pretty much predominantly white. And I mentioned that because they had summer camp that was open for everyone. And because we was kids and somebody worked there, we got to go there for the summer. Mm -hmm. So I had some experiences, but, you know, like kind of in and out with those predominantly white spaces. And and the kids that attended that school were like the sons of presidents and, you know, a lot of those like upper crest folk. But going to a PWI, I saw a lot of the similarities that I kind of saw as a kid where it became just kind of finding your people. And then I often talk about like that first day on campus or those first couple of weeks on campus, like finding your crew. And we literally did that. Like I remember my first day of school, just finding all the black folk pretty much <laughs> like walking around and linking up. But I did find myself just kind of really try to be open to getting to know. And even like in a lot of ways, understand how, you know, how white people move and how they think, you know, there were some challenges along the way. My first roommate was a was a white girl who 
didn't know how to do her laundry, didn't know how to do like things that were just like basic to me. Like I've been in laundromats since I can remember. Like that was just ingrained in me. And I remember being in our laundry room in a like, didn't plan on it, but I ended up like teaching a class on laundry for like (laughs) seven white girls. Like this is detergent. (laughs) This is bleach. This is like literally teaching. And I was literally just teaching my roommate. And then she called some friends and it became a class. Like, yes, they, yes. Yeah. So we it, have it, a whole new appreciation for quarters. It's like quarters are gold. Yes. <laughs> like for real. And so it was interesting to see like culturally things that were just like regular for me and things that they, you know, didn't necessarily have to experience. And then they came from like a, a small town. So just a lot of cultural differences. Like I always had braids in my hair and like, and then come up back with a different style. They also, I cut my hair one semester and then it grew back super fast the next semester. Just a lot of those differences that you kind of see firsthand and experience, yeah. you know, firsthand. Yeah. Yeah, I too. I, I had a lot of diverse experiences growing up in Chicago. I sang with the Chicago Children's Choir. I traveled around the country, went out the country. So I spent time with white folks outside of school, you know, but White folks who grow up in the city around other people is way different, different than white folks who grow up in rural areas. And I went to school in Iowa. Child, there were people who had never seen a black person in real life in Iowa. And I mean that for real. Okay. Wow. There's a lot of people who grow up on farms. There's people who grow up in a lot of places that there is no diversity. Okay. The diversity they get is when they turn on the television and that's it. Mm. That's the representation they receive. So yeah, going to a PWI in Iowa is, it was culture shock. It was a lot. It was a lot navigating those spaces. So, yeah, we find each other real quick. Real quick. Okay. <laughs> <Great> friend. <laughs> hey. <laughs> Did you guys experience like common hangouts in on campus? Like this is where the where this is where the black people hang out. Oh yeah. Like I got recruited immediately <laughs> for like the multicultural council and then when word got out that I did spoken word and poetry a few shows they put on and so they're like you gotta be a part of the first mobile i'm like what is that like what are y'all talking about i don't i don't know what that is but yeah a lot of the upperclassmen ended up doing like a lot of recruitment for the diverse organizations on campus which i appreciated because it became like a watering hole we had our mcc room a couple of rooms and the student union building room or two in the library that were like regular places and then honestly one upperclassman always threw a party off campus so we knew we knew what was happening every friday (laughs) that's where we went yeah and we had a coalition of black students so we had our bcc our black cultural center and so that's where we would hang out a lot but at the end of the day it's just everybody's rooms right whose room yeah Room we're hanging out at. Today. Who has the most snacks? <laughs> so you know, I, I I felt to ask you, wh- which schools did you go to? Which PWIs did you attend? We are <laughs> good. Penn State. Anna's come so far. I went to Penn State University. Anna went to DU, Drake University. Go Bulldogs! <laughs> I also went to Ithaca College. I don't know what part. we are. Yeah. <laughs> actually, yeah. actually, I did research it. We're the bombers, which I think is terrible. Yeah, let's stick with DU, okay? I, wouldn't, I was like, wow, why are we calling ourselves the bombers? But yeah, we're sticking with DU, the Bulldogs, but I did yeah. go to Ithaca College. <laughs> Transitioning from the high schools that you were at into college, like, did you feel that high school prepared you for the transition? Or should I say, in what ways do you do you feel that it it did prepare you, hmm. if at all. It's tough. 
I don't know how many high schools can really say like, these kids are leaving here, ready to go. I mean, the experience is just so <laughs> night and day. I know that they do, but the experiences are just so night and day. Mm-hmm. Academically, yeah, I was prepared. I was a smart kid. But then end of the day, leaving home, being on your own, being 18, Chile, all things are off <laughs> limits. I mean, it's just like, but overall, was I prepared? Pretty much. But I, I did go to a small school. Funding wasn't great, right? access to computers and stuff like that. I mean, I remember as we had like these old Apple things, they're probably donated from somebody. I mean, it was a black and white situation. So it was very clear that the resources were very different from Mm. the high school I went to, to the resources that people I went to school had. I remember, I remember that being very, very different, but I also remember being academically sound um, in that way. So, yeah. Um, I would say for me, so Penn State is pretty much all over the state of Pennsylvania. There's 30 plus campuses. And my first school was Barron, which is in Erie, which is literally at the tippy top of Pennsylvania. You can see Canada across the water. I say that to say it's kind of similar with like the small town vibe. I realized how much of a city person I was when I went there. Because I remember one time we caught the bus and thought it was going to come back and it never came back. Like we were just waiting. Like we're like, where's the bus? It's like two o'clock in the afternoon. It never came back. But I think for me, growing up in D.C. and then being a part of like a big art scene was a big shock for me because that wasn't the vibe where I went to school at. Like I'm looking for, you know, people who like to go to plays and musicals and sing musical songs and write poetry. And it was a few of my friends, but not as deep. So that kind of took some transitioning for me. And I think also... I did have a few challenges academically, especially like math. Me and math are not friends. Math is not my buddy. He don't like me that much. But I feel like to Anna's point where I might not necessarily have had a lot of resources available to me, you could see the difference. Like my school did provide like tutors and there was a lot of technology. You know, there was a lot more advancements available, things made available to me by going to PWI than I had even experienced in high school and I remember being in like a few math classes and being like I don't get this and you got that one person like we learned this in the seventh grade I'm like well I didn't you know so it did kind of take some adjustment for me the first year and then honestly also I was okay as far as the independence of taking care of myself because my I'm the only girl out of two brothers I'm the baby girl but I also was outside so I knew how to kind of navigate spaces and get around but I think just getting used to building your own schedule academically was kind of getting used to because I did overload my plate my first year. There, I'm like, I'm going to take this one and this one and that one. Like, I take eight classes in high school. What's that in, in college? A lot. A lot. <laughs> so I, I I learned very early, you know, about pacing myself, learning about how I learn. Like, I'm better in the morning. I don't do well, didn't do well with PM classes. I was not there. I was there, but not there. And just kind of that adjustment with now I make my own schedule and like being intentional with how I move and strategizing. That was a bit of an adjustment for me uh, when I first got to school, but I figured it out by second semester. Yeah. Doesn't take all those course credits. Yikes. (laughs) And for you, Anna, what about in fears? Did you have any fears while you were on campus? No, I was so ready to leave home. I was a little queer kid that didn't know she was queer. And I just knew that I wanted to go leave home and figure it out. So I didn't, 
have fears about being on campus. Also, I'm pretty easy to get along with. I've never had a problem making friends or finding community. So I wasn't worried about any of that stuff. No, I didn't have any fears on campus. That's good. And what about any sense of overwhelm? Did either of you experience that? Like, not just it, with it being like a PWI, but just like, this is a college experience. I'm away from home. I know, mm-hmm. Adele, you talked about, you know, trying to take eight classes. Yeah. Did you experience <laughs> any kind of just being, feeling overwhelmed? I think for me, my over, me becoming overwhelmed was not because necessarily of the class loads. It was because of what was happening at home. So in my fr- freshman year of college, my parents started divorcing. And that was extremely tough because I was the last kid to leave home. You could kind of tell they were kind of waiting for me to leave. Both my parents would be calling me and kind of venting about the other while I'm trying to study. And that was just like a lot for me to balance because I felt like I was being forced to choose. And, you know, it just took a very emotional toll. And I kind of found myself shutting down. Like I just couldn't focus in class because of what was going on at home. And home is eight hours away. My dad has left home. My mom's in this big house alone. I was scared for her, you know, making sure that she was safe. It really, like, it really impacted me. I just wanted to like be home, but not be home. Cause when I did go home, I didn't want to be there because it felt different. And, you know, my dad and I relationship got strained because of some stuff he was doing. My mom and I did get closer, but then like I felt guilty about leaving. So then leaving and going back to school. So that did become a lot. I would say a lot of the, the burden because my family leans on me for a lot of stuff. Even back then, mm-hmm. I, I dealt with a lot of internal guilt um, while I was at school. It was hard to focus. Like when they were divorcing, like I was scared for my grades. I remember being in a final and being like, I have no clue what this is. <laughs> like I don't even... Mm-hmm. I don't know what I'm looking at. But that did teach me that in this space, I kind of realized that even with my parents, I had to set some limitations and boundaries, which was very new and very hard. But I wanted to be successful in school. So I had to kind of just figure out how to navigate that. And that was that was very challenging while being a student. Yeah, I was, mm-hmm. was going to ask you about like, how did you overcome that? But it sounds like the setting of boundaries was... Yeah, boundaries, therapy. Like my school offered a lot of therapy within my tuition. So I would go see an on-campus therapist. And then I would also like connect with one of my friends who was going through something similar. So we kind of leaned into each other and just kind of telling my parents to not talk to me about the other parent. Like, especially my mom felt she had nobody to talk to. So I literally called my grandma. I was like, talk to your daughter because I just, <laughs> like, I can't. I can't. <laughs> okay. So just kind of really trying to help support her by putting people in her space that she could reach out to. And that helped me. And then, like I said, it was a strain on my dad. So, and I, we ended up not communicating as a result of it, which was heavy, but you know, my therapist helped me a lot with working throughout that. Like, I was really happy that the campus offered that because that wasn't a resource that had been available to me, like, like I'm say for free because it was clearly part of my tuition. But, you know, I, it was more accessible to me than it had been before. Yeah. And what about you, Anna? Any sense of feeling overwhelmed at any point? Oh, yeah, because I was doing team too much. I stayed doing too much. 
And so, yeah, there was absolutely feelings of being overwhelmed, especially when I think when I was in that philosophy class and we had to read Foucault. And I'm like, child, what does Foucault got to say to me <laughs> about absolutely anything? <laughs> um, so, yeah, there are definitely feelings of being overwhelmed by everything that was going on on campus, academically, socially. I was the president of our coalition of black students. So I had a lot of responsibility on campus and I'm grateful for black administrators who kept their doors open mm. where we could just go in there. There was one Dr. Wanda Everidge. We could go in Wanda's office. I, I don't know how many tears was cried in that office. She could probably mm. fill up a whole pool. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you just walk in, just start crying. Uh, and so really grateful for them and them being there. I don't think we talk a lot about what it means to sustain black admin and faculty at these mm-hmm. very rural white universities. But, you know, as an adult, I, I also understand, I understood them, but I understand for real what it means to have to live there. You're, you, they're truly working for the students, not because right. they're trying to have a life in, in Des Moines, Iowa. Right. <laughs> so. When it comes to like support systems, being able to see a therapist on campus is a form of having some type of support. But as far as like Black students, how did you support one another or did you? Like, what was that support system like? Yeah, it was awesome. Like my core f- group of friends there, like a lot of people went through a lot of things. We kind of promised each other when they did that, look to your left, look to your right thing, that we will hold on to each other and really like support each other and be helpful. So you know, study um, like finals week, we will hold each other accountable with study sessions, going together and studying. We would spend a lot of time in like the resource labs available on campus, like working together. And even just like emotional support, like over the weekends, like, you know, try to make ourselves available, hanging out. Like we were really, really tight knit. We did a lot of things on campus. Like Anna said, I was president of a few organizations. So that allowed us to kind of move around you know, collectively, because if I was president, we all was president. <laughs> that allowed for us to kind of make a few things happen. And I think, you know, we used to even like gather in each other's rooms on the weekends, weekdays. You know, I live closer. My my dorm was in the center of campus. So it was like the watering hole between classes because the rest of them kind of lived upper and, and the hills a little away. So I would always have like snacks available for them <laughs> between classes. Come in my room, one of my friends sleep in my bed. Okay, cool. You know, just kind of having that check-in system, you know, for all of us, you know, meeting up at Dobbins, which was our, where we went to eat each night for dinner and just kind of making sure that all of us, you know, felt okay and, and provided a safe space of like venting and we used to chat on each other with AOL Instant Messenger. That's how old I am. Um, You know, just kind of talking to each other. Just, just you being You said there. it, I didn't. Just you being there. It. I did. I lived for it though. Hey, you want to go grab a bite? Ah. <laughs> I'm talking about the AOL part. Not yes. the mess. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> let's be clear. That's what, uh huh. Yeah, no, we were we were hella tight. I I don't think one person went somewhere without the other. Uh, we we held each other down, and it, and it had to be that way. When you're the only person in class, the only person in your major, you walking around in these spaces. And constantly being the representation for a whole body of people, <laughs> you just get exhausted, and uh, you—it's ha- important to be with your people. So yeah, no, we were—we had a great support system. It was one of the reasons I decided that Drake was going to be the place for me in the first place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have a question about joy. Mm. Joy. When you when you look back at your college experiences, what brings you joy? The community we built. I think we left a legacy at the school with our work. That brings me a lot of joy. 
I think about the ways in which we fought back against administration, against racism, against homophobia that happened on campus. That brings me a lot of joy when I think about how we came together as community and the relationships that were built during that time. Yeah. I'm going to go to you next, Adele, with that same question. But I wanted to say, it seems like everybody seems to have a story about fighting back against the administration or like (laughs) some teacher that needed to be ousted. It's like... (laughs) It'd be needing to happen, okay? It'd be needing to happen. In my case, it was my first year on campus. It was one of our... We have a Hallmark event called Drake Relays that happens every year. And a Black student was playing with a white student. It was a black man and a white woman and they were actually dating, but someone thought that they were fighting and they called the campus police on them. Police came, didn't ask no questions, pepper sprayed everybody, took him down. It was Mm. awful. And we had to, um, we raged against the whole machine, shut down the provost building and called the media, called, held everybody to account for what, for what happened. And, at other times, we were fighting against the administration for budget to have programming for Black students on campus. Um, and honestly, sometimes it was for the entire Des Moines community that wanted to come to something Black. You know, um, they, you know that has to happen because if you don't, they'll forget that you're there because yeah. they don't see you. Yeah. And it's important for them to re- be reminded that your experience is not like everybody else's experience that they talk to. Yes. Yes, absolutely. All right, Adele. Get it, Anna. That was powerful. (laughs) (laughs) I came with you. Whatever. (laughs) I think for me, it's definitely the community that we built. And also, when I became a campus leader, I wanted to leave my mark on campus. I feel like I did that. My name is literally engraved on a wall there from the work that I did because I was president of a few organizations and some were predominantly Black. And then I was a Black woman leading one of the whitest organizations on campus, which was the the tour guides, the so the line ambassadors, which was the face and the, the first representation of campus. And right. so I, I told people, like, you need to see that there are Black folk here, too. So I'm going to lead this organization. But what I realized in being a part of that and seeing how SGA work and leading the Multicultural Council, which is a council that oversees all the diverse programming on campus, the financial discrepancies. And so I realized that there was, you know, for certain organizations, they didn't have to fight as hard to get approved for their request for money as we did in the MCC. So I made sure to kind of create a board that oversaw direct funding for the minority students because they understand the minority programming. And so just me kind of switching the system up allowed for a lot of students coming in as student leaders to have access to more financial money for their programs. So I'm very proud of that. There was, I removed the gatekeeping and allowed for us to just kind of exercise over, you know, over our own self, which was great. So that's something I'm very, very proud of because it's still something that's in effect now and, you know, when I go and visit campus and people see me and my face and name on the wall, it's like, hey, that's her. Like, that's super dope. That's an amazing feeling yeah. um, to be able to go back and speak to, you know, other students up and coming and be something that they look up, look up to and strive to be like. So that's awesome. And of course, my my friends who I'm still very close with my core that I, I met there while at school. Look at y'all leaving legacies and whatnot. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just trying to be like Anna. That's, that's it. That's... Lies. 
What did college teach you about yourself? I would say that I'm stronger than I know. I always was told I was, you know, mature for my age and just a strong, but I realized just kind of really being out there on my own, going through a lot of stuff, you know, mentally, emotionally, financially, <laughs> whew, spiritually, just trying to find my way and, you know, making it through and making it through successfully and building that community and, you know, coming out with my degree and persevering because I remember having one of my academic advisors tell me, she's like, what do you want to do? I was like, I want to do my own radio station or own my own something one day in audio production. And she was like, that's a dying fail. You shouldn't do it. This was like two weeks before I graduated too. And I remember just being devastated. Like, how's she going to tell me now that she thinks that? Like, I've been saying it for the last four years. Like, what do you? But I remember when she said that and I was feeling sad and I went back to her and was like, things only die if you allow them to. Like, I'm going to accomplish whatever it is that I want to accomplish. You're going to hear my voice in this world, whether you like it or not. And now, look at me. I'll hear guesting on podcasts, running companies. Yeah, you know. You better tell the people. Tell them again. Uh Yes, you're going to see me. So now, like, when she be liking my stuff, I'll be like, "Mm -hmm. (laughs) mm-hmm. I'm all emoji. (laughs) I see you. Yes. I know that's right. (laughs) All right. What about you, Anna? Oh, please give me the question again. I got caught up saying, yeah, damn. (laughs) The question was, what did college teach you about yourself? (laughs) That I was gay. Child, that's what I learned in college. (laughs) That's what I learned. I learned I was gay and that I was going to be all right. I mean, there's a much longer story there, but literally I came to college not not out. Everybody around me knew who I was, but I wasn't saying it. So they didn't know nothing. And then I wasn't out at home. And it was during that first year that it definitely settled in. That I'm like, no, this is exactly who you are. <laughs> um, and so, yeah. And then coming into what that meant for me and how I move about in the world and where I find community in that. But at the end of the day, it was, hey, hey, little queer. Welcome. That's what I... <laughs> That's and what so I you, learned. So you had support as well. Yeah, it turns out, you know, the friends I had were also queer, questioning, wondering, done some things, played around in some areas. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know. They was just all like feminist, womanist, like, let's walk around and be ourselves. I'm like, this is not how I grew up. Um, <laughs> but it was so incredibly liberating. Um, it was incredibly liberating. And they said, we'll be your family if your family don't support you, you know, because mm-hmm. I really, at that time, I really did not know what was going to happen when I came out. Grew up in a very religious family. And and they were like, we'll be here, you know, if all goes wrong, you know. And so it was um, it was really, really great to have that community. So everybody around me was some type of queer um, or an ally, you know. Yeah. So if you were designing a support system for Black students, what would it include? Good food. Okay. <laughs> it includes Black food. Mm-hmm. It, also, it also includes fun board games. Okay. We have to have fun board games <laughs> in this system. Okay. I was going to say like <laughs> a listserv to access to financial aid because I think Oh, that's that- practical. Yeah. I mean, you have to find I bring the money, you know, because I, I think about like, you know, when you first go to school, it's like scholarship, scholarship. But once you in there, it's not, it's like, 
you in there. But I feel like it was like something consistent throughout the years. Like, hey, second year scholarships, here are the things you can apply to. So some type of like grant list that you can get to to get that. Yeah. In addition to food and good music. Good music. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. some music on it. Oh, a good playlist. Good playlist. I would also probably say it's probably a resource guide of some kind of like mm-hmm. all of the black college organizations and associations yes. people can join. So yes. I had, you know, I knew people who were in what's the black engineering one? Nesby. Nesby's very popular, right? Connecting folks to those types of organizations. I think on a national know. scale. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know what else too? For those folks that go into like small towns, knowing a list of like what's around you. Like so Here's a good spot for you, black students, because discovering that <laughs> on your own, <laughs> it wasn't that hard in Des Moines. No, yeah, no. <laughs> no, when you first get here, here's where to go. Here's where yeah. not to go. Yeah, which which was also very interesting, you know, in Des Moines, because they would say, "Don't go that far west." I'm like, "What's over there? Is it like Chicago? <laughs> what are you talking about?" He said, "I'm not scared of no west." <laughs> what are you talking? West Des Moines? Are you kidding me right now? <laughs> what? I'm from Chicago. Oh, that's good. I think it's cool when you first get to campus, like that welcoming group, you know, so access to like minority students being part of like that welcoming group of like, mm-hmm. hey, welcome to campus. This is the vibe, you know, those socials. Like we did an ice cream social and some other. That was awesome. Yeah. When you were saying, Anna, don't go west, it's kind of like. Seeing things from like different perspectives. I work in Los Angeles. And so there's certain people who will say, well, don't go east of the 405 because that can be considered a bad neighborhood, right? They also will send us to other places for, for training. And for me, I was like, I don't know where I'm going. So it's just like the uh, the idea of, you know, what's a bad neighborhood for you? It's all, it all is about the perspective because someone's like, right. don't go over there. And I was like, I might find my people over there. Right. <laughs> Another don't go over there. It's like, I need to make sure I can come back. Like I have a total, like my fear is different. Right. Facts. Absolutely. Yeah. Anna, what's, what was your major and what were you going to do with it when you graduated? For sure. I majored in radio TV production and I minored in multicultural studies. And I was going off into the world to be the next Robin Roberts doing sports broadcasting on ESPN. That was the ultimate goal. All right. I can see that. (laughs) Thanks, friend. (laughs) Maybe it's still in my future. It is. Listen. Hey, why not? Oh, me. Um, Yes, I majored in mass communications. And my goal was to own my own media and or radio station uh, company and do my own, create my own content. Well, look at that. I think you're doing it. <laughs> Am I? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. When I was in college, I wanted to be a probation officer. You hammering wow. down the law, huh? <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> I wanted to be a probation officer, and that is um, something. How does that come about? Wait, this yeah. ain't my show. Go ahead. Well, no, we are, we are inquiring minds want to know why. <laughs> yeah, right. So I wanted to be a probation officer, uh, primarily because I had family members who were having problems with the law, and I didn't see them as bad people. 
And so I wanted to come more so from from that angle, like, how can I help? But while I was in school as a criminal justice major, there's always this swinging of the pendulum from corrections-based to punishment-based. And so just to date myself, the three strikes law became a thing when I was in college. Mm. Wow. Yeah. And so, and so I was like, wow, like this is like not really why I wanted to major in criminal justice. And so I didn't end up going down that route. Eventually I ended up doing something else altogether. But there was a time when I was thinking about, oh, maybe I want to go into interior design. And another time I was like, oh, maybe I want to go into journalism. So I was kind of like playing around with a, a few ideas. But the thing that stayed consistent for me was criminal justice. And totally not like I don't have any passion for that. And so when I look at the space that I'm in and then I and the what brings me joy in this space, like what I'm doing now. And when I look at like what you two studied, you're so much more in alignment with what you went to school for. <laughs> Adele and I doing work in the field we study, especially communications, is an anomaly. Okay. This is Listen. a this is not the norm. <laughs> People study yeah. communications and do absolutely anything out yeah, here in the yes, world. Pretty much. So. Like I had a journalism teacher. She wanted me to be a journalist so bad. Cause I do enjoy writing. I minored in writing, but I just I didn't want to be on deadlines chasing people down for the beat and writing. On, yeah, uh, um. yeah. If you were to write a post on social media giving Black students three tips to survive their first year at a PWI, mm. what would you say? Find your people, make a friend in financial aid, go to class. <laughs> Cosign. Yes. Go to class. <laughs> Pay attention in class, okay? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I second that emotion. <laughs> I like that. Find your people, go to class, and find somebody in financial aid. Yes, like befriend mm-hmm. them. Like, don't just find them. Like, go sit with them, talk to them, be their friend. Give, give them gifts. Them. Give them mm-hmm. gifts. Bring them a, a drink. Bring them, bring them lunch. Share. Mm-hmm. Draw them a picture anything uh-huh. show them pictures of your family <laughs> become family <laughs> okay okay if if we got a if we got like a 3a option i would say find a mentor mm-hmm. on campus yeah to help you navigate yeah and don't be afraid to push yourself you know so i feel like the realest thing i've learned even in talking to a lot of folk on our pod college is definitely what you make it you know uh-huh. so a lot of people would be like, I didn't have that much fun. Or I didn't really like it. Like, they didn't really do a lot. You know, they just kind of stayed in their rooms. But the folk that kind of pushed themselves a little more to engage their peers, participate, like, had a lot of the great college experiences. So I always call myself the introvert, extrovert, introverted, because I definitely get full of people after a while. Like, okay, got to back in myself. But I, I found myself really, like, pushing myself to kind of get to know more folk around campus. And that worked well for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I didn't know anybody in financial aid, but that would have been super helpful because when I was in when I was in college, you had to line up to get your check, your financial mm-hmm. check. Mm-hmm. And it was a line that wrapped around Ooh, the yeah. building. Mm-hmm. And it didn't come until like weeks into oh wow yeah. this into the first semester. So it wasn't until, you know, I got the hang of things eventually. It's like I I gotta save some of this money from the from the last disbursement to take me into the first semester of the next year because the money doesn't come before the books are required. That's true. Mm. 
Yeah, see, you had, you had to make them friends because Miss Felicia would call us like, hey, Dale, you got the scholarship coming, money coming down. Come in on Tuesday at 10. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, so my final question is, what advice would you have to Black students graduating this year? I would say give yourself grace because I think, not saying it doesn't happen, but a lot of folk graduate thinking they just going to go and start that that big time, big paying off job and just going to be living in the dough and it doesn't always work that way. And this is for somebody who graduated right when everything crashed and burned in 2009 and uh, the world was on fire. (laughs) I had a guaranteed job and lost it before I graduated. Like Mm -hmm. that's, yeah. And so I I was really like hard on myself because I just could not find. And even though like everyone was going through it, I just really took it personally. Like I did four years and got this degree for what? You know, so... Just give yourself grace and be open to other opportunities because you never know what may lead you to something else. And as I always say, every contact is a connection. So not being afraid to go into like networking events and just talking to people and get to know because you never know who may be able to connect you to your next job. Anything you want to add to that, Nana? Yes, everything Adele said. (laughs) You get on my But I will expand on the networking piece. That is the part that no one learns in school. It is not a course that people take. It is not. And I believe it should be because in this life, your network is your net worth. So who do you know? Who are your, you know, people say like your friends are a reflection of you. Who are your friends? Are they making money? (laughs) Do they have jobs? (laughs) Are they they moving up in their career? Are they going in the same direction you're going? Mm -hmm. Who do they know? Yo, you you need to do some personal inventory. So I, I I'll double down on the networking part of this. At some point in your life, you should get to a point where you don't need a resume. Mm. And are you building yourself to get to that place? Um, so yeah. network, and I'll also double down on the staying open part because whatever you majored in, that could very well not be what you end up doing. So stay open to the possibilities of the thing because it is about. School and finishing school is so much more about the fact that you could begin and end something mm-hmm. than than a specific course that you took during that time. Yes. It it is it is the display that I know how to complete something. Right. Mm-hmm. So step into the world with that. Yeah. Absolutely. See, you see why I keep her close? She just be yeah. preaching. <laughs> Anna, Anna just be on fire. Look at that. Yeah. <laughs> That's why we locked in right there. That's who I know. I know Anna. <laughs> That's your network, right? Right, yeah. <laughs> My net worth big because I know Anna, so I'm good. I'm locked in. <laughs> Please know I feel the same way, okay? Do not let her fool you at all, period. All yes. right. Well, is there anything else you might want to share before we close out? Check out the head nod. <laughs> boom, 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 boom. <laughs> all right where can where can uh where can they find you uh you can find me on ig and x formerly known as twitter at i am adele coleman spelled a-d-e-l-l i am not the singer so i am adele <laughs> coleman yeah and you can find me at anna deshawn across all social media just choose your favorite platform And then I'll also give a quick plug to our podcast production company that's producing content at the intersections of race and sexuality called The Q, T-A-G-Q-U-B-E. And I think if you're looking for more podcasts by Black and Brown creators and you don't know where to go, The Cube is your spot. Thank you so much for 
coming to the Academic Survival Podcast. It was fun. You both shared really good content that I believe first-year students can glean from, so I appreciate that. Yeah, thanks for having us. That's it for today on Academic Survival. If you want to share your story on how you survived your freshman year of college, you can reach me at info at chandralmcdonald.com. We'll be back next week with more ways to survive your academic journey. Until then, happy studying.